0: Uh, Last week, we started uh, what will be a four-week Christmas series titled Seeing Christmas. We're considering how uh, characters from the Christmas story uh, ultimately point us to Christ. We're considering together what they teach us through their own lives, but then what they uh, teach us about God. Uh, Last week, we talked about the wise men. Uh, We talked about the Magi, and this week we take a look at really a seldom considered character from the Christmas story, from the story Simeon. Uh, In the Christmas story, Simeon didn't exactly get a lot of publicity. Uh, We hear about the wise men and the shepherds quite a bit, uh, but Simeon doesn't exactly make the front page news. Yet his hope in Jesus is admirable. His life teaches us Uh, something that we probably need to be reminded of, about hope and waiting. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't personally like to wait. I find myself jumping lines at at the grocery store so I can get out of there as fast as I can. Uh, Every time I take a family vacation and we're in the car driving, I assume it is a race and I'm being clocked for time. Uh, I I am not one who is naturally patient uh, by nature, and so... Uh, I know I have a lot to learn through the life of Simeon. Uh, Simeon uh, seemed to be unlike me. It seems like if Simeon were around today, he could receive an honorary PhD in waiting. Uh, He certainly had to wait or was called upon to wait when it came to waiting uh, for a Savior to come. And so as we examine his life this morning, I want us to think about what we learn from Simeon. It's a handful of observations from our text. And then I want us to think together about what we learn about God. So a handful of observations about uh, Simeon. The first thing that I want us uh, to notice is that uh, Simeon was a man uh, from Jerusalem. Scripture says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, I know uh, what you're thinking. You're (laughs) probably thinking to yourself, James, that's that's awfully basic. Uh, Did you really have to go to seminary to point that out? And uh yes, I did, as a matter of fact, I did. Uh, I have found that sometimes the most plain observations in Scripture can also uh, be some of the most significant or important truths uh, that we stumble upon. And for some reason, when I read this the other week, I just was struck by the way that Scripture describes Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This is significant, I think, Because there is no indication in Scripture that Simeon was really that big a deal. We don't have a lot of background right here. It just kind of mentions his name. It mentions where he's from. But Simeon, by all accounts, was not a king. He's not a high government official. At least to our knowledge, he was not well-connected. He didn't necessarily run in influential circles, at least that we know of there's there 's nothing in the text that would lead us to believe that Simeon was him, that Simeon was the man. I know i 've told this story before, but a number of years ago, I was watching a University of Michigan basketball game. I believe if I remember correctly, it was a tournament game. Uh, Michigan had a couple of solid players, a couple of guys that went up going on to the NBA. Uh, but the game was close. As a matter of fact, Michigan was down. They had the ball. They had possession. And so you know how this plays out, right? Your team has the ball. You're, you're hoping uh, that they nail the game-winning shot. You're hoping that one or two of your stud players are going to nail the shot, and your team is going to go home victorious. But out of the timeout, Michigan began uh, to ran a play. They got the ball into the hands of, of their superstar who quickly looked up at the clock, saw the time ticking away, and went and passed the ball to some role player. I don't remember his name because he wasn't any good. And when he went to take the shot, before he even released the ball, Cademan shouted out, You're not him! (laughs) And he was right. Uh, he, He was not him. He wasn't the guy, and he missed the shot. Uh, Simeon, by all accounts, was not him. Like, he wasn't the guy. In God's kingdom, he wouldn't necessarily be the person that you would look to and think to yourself, man, he's going to make a difference. He's going to do great things. He was, by all accounts, a nobody. But oftentimes, God uses people just like Simeon to advance his kingdom here on earth. In God's eyes, the not him is him, or the not her is her. In other words, in God's economy, the nobody is a somebody. The person who is forgotten is the very one who gets a seat at God's table. The seemingly unimportant are incredibly important. And we see this all throughout the pages of Scripture. We see it early on in Scripture when God chooses uh, the Jews to be his people, of all people. Scripture teaches us that they were uh, not the biggest and the strongest nation around. They were seemingly unimpressive. And yet uh, God looked around and said, I choose them. I was reminded of this truth even earlier this week in my um, devotions I'm reading uh, through the New Testament, and I found myself in Acts uh, chapter 4 the other day. And Acts chapter 4 describes the boldness of Peter and John uh, as they minister for Christ. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So Jesus looks around and he thinks to himself, well, who am I going to call to be my first disciples? Who am I going to call uh, to get this, this movement started and to spread among the nations? And he decides to pick people like Peter and John, men whose scripture uh, describes as ordinary men with no special training. This is how um, God operates. He still does this to this day, uh, by the way. He uses seemingly unimpressive people to do his great work. He uses people that you would look at and they would almost disappear in the crowd because they are unassuming. Maybe they're not ahead of the class. Maybe they're not influential. Maybe they don't run in the in-crowds. He uses regular, ordinary people, uh, people like you and people like me. It says of Simeon that he was just a man from Jerusalem. I mean, I could almost imagine Scripture uh, reading, now there was a man from Concord or Canapolis. There was a woman from Harrisburg or, Hunter, or, or Huntersville. You don't need to be somebody to be noticed by God. He sees you. He uses the impressive magi, yes, the wise men. And he uses the not so impressive simians of the world as well. And this is good news for us, is it not? I mean, statistically speaking, most of us won't be such a big deal in the world's eyes. Most of us. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that most of us will not be talked about hundreds of years from now. Most of us will live a relatively quiet life here on planet Earth, hopefully faithfully, pointing people to Jesus, and then God will call us home. But these are the people that God uses all the time. What Simeon lacked in personal connections, he did not lack in moral character. The second thing that we notice about Simeon is that he was righteous and devout in his waiting. He was righteous and devout in his waiting. Uh, We can read the words righteous and devout and we can think to ourselves that someone who is righteous and devout uh, may come across as a little too much, a, a little religiously extra, as people like to say. When someone is described as righteous or worse, uh, self-righteous, we oftentimes uh, perceive that to have a negative connotation. Uh, we may look at someone who is described as devout and think that that person, he or she, is a little weird or a little out of touch with uh, the real world, an odd duck, sort to of speak. Uh, but there isn't a whiff of that negativity when Scripture talks about Simeon as righteous and devout. Apparently, Simeon was righteous and devout, in all the right ways. He was a man of high moral character. Uh, He was someone who was committed to the Lord. God was his deal in life. God was his goal. Uh, God is what he sought after. He oriented his life around Yahweh. This, by the way, is a good way uh, to live, uh, to care about the heart of God, to care about what God cares about, to love God and to love people. To simply love and follow God and be devoted to God. All of us, I'm sure, in life have been devoted to something before. I mean, there's something that we've been passionate about. There's something that we've been consumed by. Uh, Maybe it's a trivial thing. Maybe it's something that seems insignificant. But to us, it comes across as very significant. To us, it can come across as life. And we orient our days and our time, our energy, our efforts, our resources around this person or this thing uh, that we love. I love that when scripture describes Simeon, it describes him as someone who is devoted to God. He was devoted to God Uh, Simeon is just a guy that loved God and loved people, and God considered him to be a friend. And he happened to be the guy from Jerusalem that God lets in on a cosmic secret. Simeon, of all people, will get to see the Messiah before Simeon dies. This is huge. Uh, Simeon was righteous and devoted, And don't miss this, he was righteous and devoted as he waited. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, the text reads. We don't know how long he had to wait. It may have been a long time, but we know that he waited. And he waited with great expectation. Simeon was taking God seriously in a world of disillusioned people, in a world filled with people that perhaps had given up on the whole coming Messiah thing. Not Simeon. He was waiting with hope and with expectation. He was confident that God would come through. Not a a hope like cross your fingers, boy, I hope this thing works out sort of hope. But he was waiting with expectation. He really believed that God would come through because that's what God does. God comes through. It is in his character to come through. I love that Simeon was a man of character in the midst of waiting. Primarily, or at least a large reason why, is because I oftentimes am not a fan of waiting. If I'm at the grocery store and I'm in the checkout line and someone before me needs a price check on an item, I want to make a sound to indicate my displeasure. If someone is in the aisle where they have 20 items or less and they have more than 20 items, I do a quick count in my head. If someone is scanning their items and putting them into their bag, and then they go, oh, I forgot something. Hold on just a second. Everyone, while I continue to shop, you just hang tight. It drives me nuts. I'm I'm not a fan. I have a tendency to be impatient. I don't like when people don't follow the rules. I don't like when I'm driving on a two-lane road. And I see a sign that says, like, one lane. There's a little merge sign. Do you know what I do? I merge right on over because that's what the sign says. There is another segment of the population uh, that pretends they don't see the sign, and they just keep driving till they run on a road and go, oh, we didn't know. And then they turn behind and it says, excuse me, everyone a mile behind me. Let me go on and get into traffic. These are late mergers, or as I like to call them, (laughs) non-Christians. I don't like to wait. I don't like when other people drive in such a way that I have to wait longer than I should have had to wait. I do not like to wait. I don't like to wait with little things in life or seemingly insignificant things in life, but something tells me that we don't like to wait when it comes to big things weighty things, significant things in life. We don't like to wait when we pray uh, for a family member to come back to the Lord or come to know the Lord, and yet they show no interest in the things of God. We don't like when we have to wait seemingly a lifetime uh, for a spouse uh, to come around or just for a spouse uh, to come We don't like to pray those prayers that seemingly are not answered the way that we want them to be answered. We don't like to wait when we pray to God for healing for years or for decades. And it feels like you're still in God's waiting room and he hasn't called your name yet. We are not a people who enjoy waiting. A waiting can produce impatience, Impatience can produce disappointment. Disappointment can lead to despondency. Despondency can produce unhealthy attempts to dull the pain in life. Righteousness and waiting don't always go hand in hand. And yet here is Simeon, a man from Jerusalem, who is described as righteous And devout as he waited for God to console, to comfort, to rescue his people. Simon was righteous and devout in his waiting. We also notice from the text uh, that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Just stop there for a second. Simeon is a man of high moral character. He is righteous and he is devout in his waiting. Uh, But before we put Simeon on a stamp and build him a statue, don't miss this. It's important. The Spirit of the living God is working in Simeon's heart and in his life. If you were to stand back and you were to to ask yourself, why is it that Simeon has seemingly figured things out? How is it in his waiting that he is righteous and devout? May I point out the fact that God the Spirit was working in his heart and in his life. The Spirit was upon him. The good news he received was given to him by the Spirit. He came in the Spirit to the temple. The Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding Simeon. He's working in Simeon and he is working through Simeon. Simeon is not the hero of of the story. He's not the guy that simply picked him out, himself up by the bootstraps and figured things out. He is a man whose life had been changed and impacted by the spirit of the living God. Let me read the text to you again and just notice how many times the text points out to us the work of the spirit in Simeon's life. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. By the way... The same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God the Spirit, who filled Simeon and came upon Simeon and revealed truth to Simeon, is the same Holy Spirit who is in God's people today when they trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon a fourth observation. Simeon believed the promises of God. Simeon believed the promises of God. Verse 26 reads, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon was given a promise by God and he believed the promise. God the Spirit revealed to him that an unspeakable truth Uh, an unspeakable truth that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah. And so he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited with a supernatural confidence because he actually took God at his word. He took God at his word. God spoke, and he believed him. He just took it at face value. Much of the Christian life is believing by faith in the promises of, of God, that God spoke. And so we, as the people of God, we wait. We wait. We wait with anticipation for God to fulfill his word. But we wait believing that God will fulfill his word. Why? Because God has a track record of faithfulness throughout generations. Since the beginning of time, God has been making and fulfilling his own promises, Will you believe him today? Will you trust him? I feel like God still asks us this question today. Will you, will you believe me? Will you trust me? Do you believe my promises are true? Church family, will you trust him today? Will you believe him today? Simeon believed in the promises of God. Fifth observation, in the face of death, uh, Simeon saw life. In the face of his own death, uh, Simeon saw life. Verse 27 reads, "'And he came in the Spirit into the temple, "'and when the parents brought in the child Jesus "'to do for him according to the custom of the law, "'he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, "'Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace "'according to your word, "'for my eyes have seen your salvation.'" that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon experienced the kindness and the goodness and faithfulness of God at the end of his life. Simeon confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And Simeon did this as he faced death. As he faced death, Simeon saw life. Right? He looked at this child, and he saw salvation. As he neared the end, Simeon saw the beginning. He saw the beginning of all eternity. When I read this, I couldn't think to myself that one day we will find ourselves in Simeon's shoes. Now, sure the circumstances will likely be different. I know that they will. But there are no exceptions to this truth that we will face death. We will face the end. Uh, during those days, may God give us faith uh, to believe that salvation, that Jesus has come. In the face of death, may we see life. Now, Simeon waited for the comfort of God to come to his people. And he saw salvation come in Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation. And this brought us Simeon great peace. Isn't that what we long for? Uh, Don't we long for that kind of peace? We sing about it. We read about it. We long to experience it. Peace in your heart, this sense, this belief, this completeness and wholeness that everything is going to be okay. Even when everything in front of us is not OK, we long for that kind of peace. And Simeon experienced it. It is the same kind of peace that Jesus promised in John chapter 14, verse 27, when he said, "My peace, I leave with you, my peace, I give to you." Now, Simeon saw Jesus, and he saw life, he saw salvation. Uh, So we've considered some observations about Simeon's life. We've thought about them together. Now let's think just briefly about what does Simeon's life uh, teach us about God? What do we learn about God from this passage? Because all of Scripture points to Christ. All of Scripture teaches us something about who God is. So what is Scripture teaching us about the Lord? Well, look with me at Luke chapter 2. Uh, verse 29 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light, for salvation, or a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Then Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph. Simeon said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce also uh, your soul, your own soul too. So what do we learn about God? Three things that I just want to quickly point out. Uh, I want us to notice that salvation is found in Jesus. Salvation is found in Jesus. Secondly, salvation is for both the Jews and the Gentiles. And third, that Christ is the great revealer of the human heart. So let's take those individually. First... Uh, Salvation is found in Jesus. Uh, Jesus came and proclaimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He came uh, to bring salvation. He came to call a people to himself. He came to uh, redeem a people, to look at a people and say, you are mine and make it possible uh, for those people to come to him uh, by grace uh, through faith. And so when Simeon uh, sees Jesus, He announces that salvation has come. Jesus came to restore a broken relationship between God and his people, to draw a people to himself, to redeem a people and call a people sons and daughters. This is what Jesus came to do. He came on a rescue mission. Can I ask you a question this morning? When you see Jesus, uh, do you see your Savior? Uh, Do you see Jesus and think to yourself, uh, salvation has come? Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? In a world that looks for salvation in so many different ways and in so many different people, Have you trusted in Jesus? Uh, Jesus is the only place to go to find and experience salvation for your soul. Secondly, what we learn about God is that God gives salvation for both the Jews and the Gentiles. There is not one particular group of people who have a corner on God's kingdom. All who come by faith to Christ are welcome, uh, regardless of what side of the track you live on or what country you live in. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why we at Christ Point are passionate about seeing the gospel spread to the nations, um, because we believe that God is a global God It is the reason that we send teams to Honduras. It is uh, the reason that we support missionaries in Jordan and in Dubai and in Israel. It is the reason that we call people uh, to go to the uttermost parts of the world and uh, to go into our own neighborhoods and our own city. It's one of the reasons that we partner with incredible organizations like 1-7 down in East Charlotte, because we believe in a global God. We believe that God has called people from around the world. Sometimes those people live in our own backyard, and sometimes they actually live around the world. And so we go, we go, and we see this in the text. We see that Jews and Gentiles experience the love and kindness, the grace and And mercy of a loving God. Finally, uh, this text teaches us something about the human heart. Um, Christ reveals the human heart. When we see Christ, when we come face to face with Christ, the human heart is exposed and displayed. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 2 reads, And his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what Simeon said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." Uh, When Jesus came, he came uh, to reveal the human heart. When Jesus arrived, he showed people where they really stand before God. Jesus, he served as a fork in the road for people. He revealed people's true desires, their longings, their loves, and their passions. He came so that many hearts might be revealed. And we see this play out. Um, all throughout the pages of the New Testament. We see it when the disciples say they believe, but then they run away in fear. We see it in the life of Peter when he makes bold promises but denies Jesus three times and flees in shame. We see this in the life of Judas who wanted to make a buck and ended up committing suicide. We see this in the high priest who says he is for God and does everything he can to preserve his own power. We see this in the life of Pilate who simply wanted to keep out of trouble even when he knew his own wife had spoken of Jesus as being a little special. He himself found no fault in him. We read about this with a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross uh, who could not deny what he saw and proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah uh, as uh, the criminal breathed his last breath. We see it in the life of the prostitute who anoints Jesus uh, with her tears and her hair. Uh, We see it in Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who finds repentance and acceptance and a new calling for his life. And we see it in the lives of the spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees, who see Jesus and hate him. Uh, Jesus is the great revealer of the human heart. And Jesus still uh, reveals Uh, the truth of the human heart uh, today. I wonder uh, if God, by His Spirit, is revealing something in your heart this morning. I wonder if you hear Simeon's story or you hear this story about Jesus and you don't feel as if the Spirit of the living God is calling you or is working in your heart, or is revealing uh, in your heart things that you did not know uh, were there and need to be addressed. Uh, Salvation is found in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is for uh, the Jews, and he is for the Gentiles who come to him by faith. And so my question for you this morning is, will you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and experience salvation. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks for uh, Jesus. He is our hope and he is our life. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death. We give you thanks that he was buried and defeated death and rose again. Lord, we give you thanks for characters in Scripture that we read about who cause us to consider our own hearts and our own way of life. Lord, I thank you for godly men and women that we read about in Scripture who are described as righteous and devout, uh, people who waited and longed for you to move and to act. Uh, God, you know these people way better than I know them. I pray uh, by the spirit of the living God that you would work in their hearts this morning. Draw them to uh, yourself. For those of us who need encouragement, I pray that you would encourage. For those of us who uh, need to be convicted, I pray that you would convict. Uh, But Lord, I pray uh, that you would draw us to yourself, that we may receive the grace and the mercy uh, that is ours in Christ. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.